0: Hello and welcome to Politics in the Pulpit. This is a lecture-based preaching resource designed to ask that provocative question of whether, and if so, how, politics should appear in our preaching this week. My name is Beth Alison Glenny. I'm a Baptist Minister and I'm working as the Baptist Union of Great Britain's Public Issues Enabler and a part of the Ecumenical Joint Public Issues Team. Each week I'm joined by a guest from a different place or space on the political or pulpit uh, landscape. And today I'm really pleased to introduce the Reverend Andrew Hammond, who's chaplain at St. John's College, Cambridge. Welcome, Andrew.
1: Hello. Good to see you.
0: Thank you so much for uh, joining us today. And um, politics in the pulpit, I wonder what does that mean for you um, and your context and where you're coming from today?
1: Yeah, so you can imagine um, working with students, well, you could imagine that it's a highly politicized context that that students have, uh, you know, a very kind of lively um, sense of things, political. Um, And that's true to an extent, but the way way in which I'm serving them doesn't necessarily immediately relate to that aspect of what they do. I mean, you can imagine here, this is one of the colleges that has a very big choral tradition. So we have, you know, a grand chapel with very kind of ornate, dignified, fantastically beautiful and accomplished services from a musical point of view. Uh, And then there's the rest of the college where you've got, there are about a thousand students here. That's including postgraduates. Quite a few, a fair few are international, which brings in its own um, array of issues and and ways of understanding the world and en- engaging with it um, and I've been I've been a chaplain in Cambridge for six years now so I was at King's before which also has a choir <laughs> people may have heard of um, and now at John's uh, which of course I think is better and uh, and I remember because I was a student here in the 80s and um as a child, obviously. And and I remember there was a, a, a very considerable engagement by students in um, politics and certain political issues, which usually had a very strong ethical vibe to them as well. So then it was anti-apartheid, it was CND, it was the miners' strike and Mrs. Thatcher, all that kind of stuff. So big outward focus, very campaigning sort of attitudes and I, I expected to encounter just the same thing when I came back to Cambridge and it hasn't been quite the same and obviously the issues are different but I think students are definitely very different people from how we were students for a whole raft of reasons and actually even in that short space of time that six years the way in which I see students obviously they're different from each other but the the generality of how students engage with politics has changed um uh, it was, you might say, a little quiet in a sense. I mean, things like um, identity politics, the culture war about speaking and no platforming—that kind of stuff was was building up. But it's certain things have really seemed to galvanise people's interests just in the last three, four years. You know, the environment, obviously, and the um, climate emergency. Um, not so much kind of national politics, but international politics, and then how the how politics and the way that the world works relates to really important issues like the way in which women are uh, properly treated and respected Um, and uh, Black Lives Matter obviously was a powerful uh, uh, stimulus to political Mm -hmm. engagement by people and and other issues of, of personal identity as well so, so that so, so I have this interesting. You know, I have this this very particular liturgical context, you know, to which some students come, um, and we do indeed have an early morning service on a Sunday, which is without choir. That's like that's like the sort of parish communion, really, for students and indeed only for students, not for visitors from outside. And then this kind of general engagement as makes sense and as they're open to for me in the students, which is either pastoral. I mean, it's ac- absolutely about welfare, being part of the welfare team, or trying to be helpful uh, and involved in what I would call the liberation issues. Mm-hmm. So the students' unions have their liberation officers, um, you know, BME, LGBT, women, um, and uh, disability, and all, all the access stuff. And all that. So, so it's quite it's quite varied. <laughs>
0: thinking you run um, another inclusive church space
1: as well, is that right? So I began that and I've left them to it. So um, it taxed me that in Cambridge, the churches that seemed to be the most energetic uh, in terms of student uh, attendance hmm. uh, were types of evangelical, conservative evangelical, charismatic evangelical, that's in the Church of England. And then, you know, there was Baptist, I think there were two Baptist churches in Cambridge and and various other independent and smaller churches, but there didn't seem to be any church space, as opposed to a chapel space, where you might say more kind of progressive liberal outlooks on certain issues, and certainly to do with things like Sexuality and gender identity, and indeed a proper understanding of what patriarchy actually means, um, just didn't exist. So, and I've been doing this thing at Kings called Critical Mass. It was a sort of late night, very effective, atmospheric, affective. Well, it turned out to be effective too. um Eucharistic sort of thing. We just sat on the floor and we had loads of smoke and we had soul music and we had protected texts and lots of smoke and and, and so on. And 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 I would. It was a very pared down Eucharist service, but the the talk. And I definitely called it a talk rather than a sermon, although it was a sermon, of course. I tried to make as, as, as speak as directly as possible into what I understood to be the sort of experience and expectations of students. Unfortunately, students, or at least some students, are fabulously direct in telling me what they think. I just love it. It's not a thing I've found parishioners, well, some you know, some will say something, but normally our students would just say, you're answering questions nobody's asking. I love it. When, I mean, fortunately it doesn't happen too often, but, you know, that is so helpful. It's so yeah. helpful. So I wanted to see whether that could translate into the, into the town. So for a wider body of students. So we began, um, this thing that we call heart's ease, um, just as a nice word, but it's, uh, you know, it's very much the idea that it's speaking to the heart as well as to the head, really. And we did that at the um, second church of Grace and Mary's, which is called Michael House. And, uh, I kind of, I think I was trying to reproduce critical mass and I had one term to do that. Um, And then I was moving from King's to John's when Sunday nights weren't possible for me anymore. And I'd been billing this as a student led church. I really wanted it to be, but they'd rather sort of, um, there were students involved, but I think they just, the power balance wasn't quite right. It was as though I was still a bit dominant. So because I needed to step aside, they were then able to develop it. And that is indeed what they've done along the lines that they preferred, which is great. I mean, that makes sense of it being a student-led service. So not so Eucharistic, for one thing. Um, And uh, also they then aligned it with the SCM, the Student Christian Movement, Mm -hmm. which is the, you know, the other Christian union for students, got a long heritage and is considerably less conservative than the Christian Union, KCU, is called here, um, which is which has a very definite kind yes. of um, a uh, tenor. Human of faith. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they have <laughs> their <laughs> whole you know yeah. re- you have to sign the thing, um, and uh, and it's I, you know I, I think it's good to have this much broader ecology of of Christian life uh, when you've got thirty thousand more you know brilliant and buried students in a place. There ought to be choice. Hmm yeah so that's that was that yeah
0: um so um i always ask uh, uh if there's a little if there's an issue or a, a topic or or something that you think as our preachers are starting to prepare this week that you kind of want them to know is happening or just to be listening into or something that just has been a passion for you um in kind of how you approach politics in the pulpit.
1: yes so It's interesting, isn't it? You can imagine people sort of shying at the very title politics in the pulpit because it's so easy just to slot into thinking of party politics Mm. or more broadly partisan politics. And I I think I do believe quite strongly that uh, party political affiliation declared in a pulpit is quite a risky thing to do. I've certainly not felt able to do that myself, not least because if you are affirming that you Belong to a party. The implication of that is that you buy into all the policies of that party. Um, and you have to do some quite fancy footwork. I mean, either you just do, which would be very odd, it seems to me, um, or, or you sort of pick and choose and have to keep kind of finessing that, which takes quite a lot of time. <laughs> and effort, really, I mean, if, if you're if you're with a, a community of people that you're with all the time, then clearly that's going to develop. Um, but having said that, the notion that you can't talk about matters of political importance. Um, matters on which politicians are going to make decisions and then in the wider sense you know as as other speakers you've had have been saying um it's you know how we lead the good life as a body of people living together in our various sizes of community i mean that's absolutely fundamental seems Mm. to me but at even more general point um whatever your community and especially a community like mine who are kind of fizzing with uh, thinking about everything and and in that very interesting transitional period when they're they're changing from being children to grown-ups, not to relate anything that you put together to say in the pulpit to uh, the reality of life and specifically the reality of their lives, uh, it would be bonkers. Um, you know they spend they spend quite a lot of their time listening to teaching and reading about stuff <clears throat> which is important for their degrees which may or may not speak to um, the life as they you know life as they live it. Um, and it's not about kind of slavish desire to be relevant or attract attention. It's just that you know um, what was Jesus about? Um, he wasn't a lecturer. he wasn't he wasn't writing a book, um so, and I you know, one of the, um, one of the pieces of advice I got quite early on, my, my um, incumbent, when I, I kind of had a long period of what I call devotional doubt uh, in the first half of my adult life, and I was working in the arts and living it up a bit, um, when I kind of found a church and, and sort of came back to a more clearly articulable faith, <clears throat> the rector in this church. I was called Mark Oakley, who's now, in fact, my boss here. So it's a wonderful full circle. But he used to say about, you know, he's one of the greatest preachers there is, and he, one of his guiding principles is, you know, sermon is an event. You really have to, in it, when you start to unpick that, it, it, it um, really helps. And part of the event, I think, is um, understanding uh, how you can, Relate your understanding of what Jesus meant and more importantly means to the life being lived by the people listening to you. Um, so, for me, that's going to be much less about kind of finger wagging in normal issues of morality that you know certain newspapers and commentators would have us do, um, much more about you know what if there is an ethics. There's a way of, of living life that Jesus is encouraging us to do. What's that going to look like day to day? So I do get very agitated sometimes. I get quite I get a bit passionate in sermons. Um, sometimes if, if get you know. If, for example, I mean in the past I've I've preached with vigor and indeed anger about, say, the way in which certain newspapers demonize certain groups of people. For a while it seemed to be, or maybe it was just I noticed, uh people in prison um uh, of course it's been um refugees and people trying to come and live in this country makes me mad so actually the the um the the readings today are quite handy for that Mm. one could you could you could take that line with the readings Um,
0: well we um we're going to come to the readings just a moment and mm. uh, i always ask jpit to give us a little roundup of some of the kind of what they're hearing and seeing from the kind of political scene and and just to be what we should be aware of and maybe mm. exercised about um and uh the police crime sentencing and courts bill is back um so it's passed in the commons but not the lords um so there may still be some influencing opportunities there uh, the new plan for immigration is now back as a bill. Uh, it's called the Nationality and Borders Bill, which contains a lot that we're incredibly concerned about in terms of yeah. asylum seekers. Um, and uh, the Public Issues team have actually put a briefing up about it. If that's helpful for uh, people, um, especially if you're trying to, if you're exercised enough to write to your MP as well, um, then that's helpful to know uh, what some of our kind of concerns would be from looking at it from our perspective. Um, and then um, there's uh, there's a report coming out, uh, came out about drug abuse treatment in the UK, which concluded that funding cuts have made the service not fit for purpose, and that leaves a lot of vulnerable people without the support they need when really struggling with addiction. And there's other research out today that shows that the pandemic has widened the wealth gap in the UK, uh, which we knew uh, was going to happen, but um, it highlights the unequal financial impact of lockdowns and the need for action to address debt and support those on low incomes as we emerge from restrictions. Um, and we've been campaigning quite hard about uh, debt in household debt. On, uh, it's been one of the issues we've been campaigning about. We're really glad to see that um, that we managed to get um, some debate in Parliament about that last week. So um, just anybody who feels campaigning on this, keep plugging away at that. We've be some movement and some thought about that and um, that's very UK focused um it's also worth saying you know Haiti's president was assassinated last week um which is likely to cause unrest in a country which hasn't really recovered from the 2010 earthquake and has been experiencing a lot of political uh turbulent politics um for a while so um there's a, there are other things going on in the world obviously but um there's a lot in UK politics as well this week um so we've um Uh, Spurgeon always said uh, um, to have your newspaper open in one hand and your Bible in the other well it's more like um, kind of the BBC News app (laughs) the electionary app (laughs) but um, uh, we will go to we'll go to the text for Sunday um, and our readings this week are 2 Samuel 7 um are there Ephesians 2 and Mark 6 uh or bits of Mark 6 very confusingly um Mm. I wonder Andrew if there's a particular text as you've looked at them that you think yeah this is the one or is a theme or an idea where would where would
1: you start yeah well you know my the tradition of the church that I'm in and indeed the liturgical context that I find myself in in chapel here um is definitely uh, the eight to 10 minutes, uh, try and make at least one point that somebody will remember. Not expository preaching, mm. you know, it's not It's not that tradition of 45 minutes of verse by verse. Um, I have done that once or twice, actually, much to people's consternation, but um, more to kind of annoy the music director than anything else. That wasn't, that's not where I am now. Uh, so it's a bit naughty, but um, <laughs> so... So actually, it's quite a, it's quite an interesting. Just my microphone. It's quite an interesting um, thing that the church does to give you all these readings, um, because you either think, well, how on earth am I going to cover all that, or am I just going to pick one thing and then we just listen to all this stuff and think, why we just listen to all that? And there's a wonderful discipline about having election. It seems to me, otherwise you just pick your favourite bits all the time. Um, and indeed, the choice of verses from Mark, you know, as you say, it's bits of Mark six, is, is actually I think really quite. Uh, clever, um, on the part of the election. You know they're not stupid. These people. <laughs> um, so I mean, there are so many places one could go, and especially in terms of you know the you know the the way in which we're thinking about how we might preach from texts. Um, so, for example, uh, although the Samuel reading is very specifically about uh, that uh, David, king of mixed virtue being told that, you know, although he's had the bright idea of building a temple, then sorry, you're not going to do it. It's going to be your offspring that are going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a very interesting, you know, you could, you could do some stuff on um, patience and humility and all that sort of thing. But actually when you when you seeing that reading and then reading the Paul, where he's doing his, you know, one of his routine well, if it is Paul, Ephesians, we say. The writer <laughs> to Ephesians. Um, Doing his uh, thing, I presume it's a he, on uh, the gospel being for everybody. You know, there are no, we're no longer strangers and aliens. It's a fabulous shift, actually, in the in the passage from the you know, the idea of being strangers to each other as Gentiles and Jews to being strangers to God or citizens of the kingdom. Um, reminds me that, um, and this way you could get into quite interesting and and risky territory in terms of preaching that. We cannot preach on an Old Testament text without using the lens of the new, and most specifically Jesus. I mean, I just call it the kind of the Jesus lens. if you're not looking through that all the time. otherwise you end up in all sorts of dodgy territory. And the kind of territory it seems to me that sometimes underlies or even is you know made very, very clear are uh, certain traditions or types of Christian who take views that I would find, Distressing and indeed, you know, it could be said to be views which underline some of the stuff that you've just mentioned as being in the news at the moment in terms of political mm. moves. Um, there are types of Christian who like to mine the Old Testament for stuff which helps them talk about military aggression, helps them talk about a kind of justice which is punitive, which I would want to call vengeful, um, especially the death penalty. Um, let alone uh how one views what's happening in israel palestine i mean i've mm-hmm. I've never dared preach on that because it's it's so sensitive um I'm completely fascinated and, and distressed uh and could go on for a great deal of time but the the risks of preaching on it without just mouthing platitudes I think are really, really hard but that that sort of suggested mm. here as well um so there's masses just from those two but i think um especially given the context that i've got um i would probably go with the gospel i mean by default i'd preach in the gospel first anyway and then just see um where the other readings might be referred to in my eight to ten minutes (laughs) um it's very interesting that you get these two, it's like the lead in and the lead out of two much bigger stories, isn't it? So you've got just before the feeding of the 5,000, you've got that fabulous, um, uh, when you know what's coming, you know what's coming. But um, he had great compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. But then, of course, we don't hear what actually happened. Feeding of the 5,000. And then the, the, it's the calming of the storm, isn't it, after that? And then the bit at the end. Um, and... And I guess my way into this would be, um, it's possible that it doesn't speak immediately into certain political issues, but is stuff about uh, how we learn from how Jesus dealt with people Mm. and apply that to everything in our life, which is going to include uh, whatever we have to say about um, the political situation, which is, you know, it's compassion and it's healing and its contemplation and its action so uh you know that 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 desperate attempt to withdraw on these i mean it's almost comical isn't it You've got these people kind of running around trying to find him um and and of course his response to being found is just compassion Mm. Um, which is not a bad principle in politics, is you know if don't go into politics if you don't want to be hassled, um, don't put your head above the parapet if you don't want to be hassled. Um, but actually, as a human being, you do need to put your head above the parapet; otherwise, you see nothing but you're, you know, we're mm. having fatigue. So, um, so I th- I think there's really interesting stuff to be found, and then and then one could turn it to any of those things. I mean, very particularly uh, the immigration stuff. I mean, I find the language around um, immigration. Uh, and nationality generally, and you know, that we can see all these horrible um, um, tastes of xenophobia and 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 all the worst bits of kind of um, populism, the things that can stimulate an, an unpleasant kind of populism, and then obviously there's masses that can be said about that. But I I often um, find that it's helpful to to try and bring in specific experiences and stories, for obvious reasons, it hardly revelation, but um, because I've been in different places over the years and you know, before I came to Cambridge, I was in a parish in Northwest London, Wilsdon, neasden one of the most deprived Church of England parishes in, in the country. Um, and one of the things that I would see there was the experience of people dealing with the home office or agencies of the yes. Home Office, particularly when they were trying to establish their right to remain, there was a bit of windrush stuff going on, which was just unbelievable. Um, and one of the most striking things was simply the quality of communication from the Home Office or their agencies, and indeed the lawyers they hired, who it's were being paid Tom's home, as far as I can see, uh, very unprepared. The even the even the language in the letters um, sent to people uh, wasn't just it wasn't even just kind of you know cold and clear. It had a kind it kind of dripped with derision and suspicion. Mm. Horrible, horrible. Um, so I mean, of course, what that did was fire me up to be to try and be more helpful, really. But people people always getting chewed up by this, and you know, and you just couldn't. I mean, they couldn't afford. Lawyers to help them through this, and the the, the nearest they could get to any kind of legal help was so, um, I mean, incredibly well-meaning but f- incredibly stretched. Mm. Um, so drawing on that kind of experience, without doing the "let me tell you, I used to work with really poor people" routine, which students kind of can roll their eyes. If you pitch it right, they generally you know, they're, they're generally interested in genuinely interested in hearing mm. um, what I've learned in other places. um It was I was only there for three years, but my goodness me, I did learn such a lot and which has affected and kind of reignited really my sense of how uh, important it is to have something to say not just as well as being christian but out of being christian um into all these all these areas i mean um uh, the cost of living by which i mean the cost of living somewhere how how much the cost of, of of renting a place it's obsession with buying a house that was um I, it seemed it it was fundamental in so many people's lives in that part of the world that their, their whole lives were devoted to being able to afford to live mm-hmm. and at the same time they were encountering a lot of people were encountering the kind of um not especially overt but just but more than subconscious um aggression from all outlets of authority you could say really so that particular one i mentioned of the people dealing with home office issues but even getting on the bus and the bus driver doesn't look at you there's this big glass screen and they don't know um and you know you try to get benefits and the benefits officers appear to have been trained to find ways to say no um You've you've then got these terrible cycles of aggression that build up, where people actually who are having similar experiences themselves, and they're doing not particularly well paid jobs, as say receptionists in a GP surgery or such in a school, um, who encounter frustration in other people, um, and you build up this cycle that they become aggressive in response can can be, um, and you know you you're just getting a GP's appointment, for heaven's sake. Um, so I, it it was incredibly revealing that that level of of alienation, really. So I remember yeah. one um, uh, old old couple who I used to see a lot because he was bedridden with diabetic complications. And there'd just been an election, and the the mother, the mama, I used to call them mamas, really, all these Caribbean um, older generation, um, just said, well. They voted in the people that don't care about us. And she, bet, I'd never heard her talk about politics before. She just—it was almost like she tossed off this. Hmm. Yeah. So yes. So going back to the to the Mark passage, <laughs> I, I could see this <laughs> message forming in your eyes saying, me, but, um, <laughs> I was going to. You, <laughs> you know the the the. I was saying, you know, the the contemplation, the compassion. Uh, So you come out of a contemplative, you have to make time for contemplation. There is this, I I like talking about the um, terrible modern obsession with busyness. Yeah, Uh, And it relates to a bigger thing, which actually really does matter to students, well, I think it should matter to students, which is this constant projection onto them of the need to be amazing, Um, compare and despair and all that sort of thing. Now here I can talk about that. I can talk about busyness and then how that, how that relates. But I mean, I had to catch myself in that parish I was talking about. If you've got a lot of people who are either retired or out of work, yes, they don't want to hear some kind of well-meaning middle-class person angsting over them about busyness. You know, they'd love to be busy. <laughs> so the
0: dignity of it actually. There's a dignity in being busy because it's how we measure social worth at the moment. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Ab- absolutely. And the, that um, the theology of Good work is mm. important in itself, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, as and very real, not just not just theoretical.
0: I I think um it's interesting. I always think that that you know the the word compassion to have your kind of bowels spill open, isn't it? It's mm. like a really gutsy feel about it. And I think it's such an interesting word when the whole thing is about having enough time to eat or not, and then obviously there's feeding miracle in the middle, that well, we've got edited out today. But it's this kind of bit about like um you know actually you know. Jesus has said, I'm going to look after you and make sure you're fed and pay attention to your needs mm. I and mean, really practical things, which actually then they don't get. They don't get that food. But what's, mm. what the twist is and the bit that we have edited out is that Jesus Mm-mm. says, well, you feed them. You feed yeah, them. They yeah. panic because they don't have any money. How are we going to do this? We can't afford that. <laughs> and Jesus obviously feeds them.
1: Yeah. feeds everything
0: else at the same time. And I think it's I think it's a really interesting kind of uh, thing about that, that And I also think the uh, the other interesting thing is that they've um, is this idea about the coming and the going, actually, and the feet. Um, So all these people arrive on foot, and it's just been that they've been told to go on this mission before, where they to wear take only you know wear a pair of sandals, take only a staff, and they've gone to shake the dust off their feet. If they you know, so there's something here about kind of what what kind of is going on. It's very ordinary walking. It's trudging. It's this isn't. Yeah, you know, this isn't the wealthy arriving, is it? This is the the hungry arriving, yeah, and I think yeah. that's something to me that's quite encouraging about the fact that this the both they are comprised of it, but also um, this is the this is the bit that the gospel is about. It's about these yeah. parishes that have like angry home office letters and I'm uh, yeah. having written quite a lot of angry responses to angry home office letters I know like there are just yeah there's absolutely a thing isn't there you turn up with somebody to their benefits appointment they get the benefits if you don't turn up in a clerical collar to their benefits appointment they don't get the benefits it's those mm. sorts of yeah
1: it's, a, it's an amazing advantage this it's, I mean, it really is in that respect yeah. um but but yeah that that the, the capacity to um be part of the extraordinary and the very ordinary, um, mm. which sounds like a kind of you know spinny phrase, but but it's 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 so much about what we're about, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Um, well, a version of that that um, I began to get us into in that parish, and which I, it interestingly doesn't happen here. Maybe because it's a we're a more transient population for obvious reasons, um, is community organising mm-hmm. um, and uh, citizens. London citizens, you know, as part of Citizens UK, I thought were just fabulous and had found this magic, magic trick, really, of um, rather than it being like those endless community forums where the same people go and complain about the same things and nobody, you know, can do anything about it. Um, the that this this the way the, what I mean by the magic trick is that a, a bunch of well motivated, um, skilled, on the whole rather sort of middle class people can. Arrange for that a proper bottom-up um, campaign about a specific mm. issue in a community in a way in which the people there feel not disengaged but actually empowered because it is about finding where the power is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I I just thought that was tremendous. I was just looking. I've i in a very sort of show-offy way I've got my Greek New Testament here because um, when you were talking, where where is the compassion word? Which which verse are we uh-huh. in? Um,
0: he had compassion over 34 first.
1: 30. Oh, 34. I was looking at 43. Um, I guess it is that splank no word, isn't it? Um, I just uh, we were when we were we weren't taught much about preaching at Westcott House. I think they rather assumed that we'd kind of be able to do it, which was a bit of turned out not to be true in many cases, but um, but uh, mine included, probably, but um. I remember somebody saying, if you have to mention a Greek word, you know, you've lost the plot, you know, you just not and I think, actually no. I think just occasionally. You know, it's not it's without it becoming a lecture. And and I've done this in, in any context. It seems to me really interesting that the word for compassion is that splankno word. You know, there's even a splanknic nerve or something inside us, isn't it? It's you know, this this visceral sense. Of how compassion works. Uh, It's a bit like that word, you know, when Jesus is very distressed at the the raising of Lazarus, where it's the same word that in Greek is for when a horse shakes its head. That thing, you know, when it's just kind of, he's shaking his hair. um, But then that, so it's, you know, if I was going to do my Greek words thing, there'd be that for the compassion thing. You know, so you really get this sense. Compassion isn't just kind of vaguely um, feeling sorry for somebody. Um, But then that the word, the very end, of the chapter, you know, they were being healed. Is the same word as being saved, mm. and that actually um, there's something very powerful about understanding the relationship between healing and salvation. Um, and it, 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 you know, gets us out of our heads. Um, we need to, we need to be acute in our analysis of you know real and as we were saying, ordinary. I mean, we need to understand the particularity of the ordinary. Um, but uh, if we think that Christianity is just about a bunch of ideals and principles and confessional statements, mm-hmm. um, you know, the way, where the, either you just have this kind of weird dichotomy between what we think about s- some important stuff and then uh, how we're nice to people as we go around or have some political views. But the fact that these things are so fundamentally tied together by this combination of kind of gut-based compassion um, and a notion that healing is part of salvation. It's rather nice, sort of bookending of the what are in fact bookends of two stories, aren't these? So.
0: Yeah, oh. I was. I like the phrase that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak, and I just thought it's um it's a reference back, isn't it, to the woman who doesn't yeah, have mind yeah. yeah. reaching out to have it. You know, for her, salvation and healing are the same thing. She's not allowed yeah, to yeah. worship with a body that doesn't uh, conform to society's expectations, so she is yeah. not allowed salvation effectively yeah. without having that hemorrhage desist and 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 actually yeah I think at the moment you could you look I think it's certainly true a lot of people talking about trauma at the moment in like yeah. COVID and I think um there is something about how trauma impacts the body um yeah. uh that it you know people know but I think we've properly just started to really understand that the kind of level oh, of yeah. connection that that is and actually you know these things are connected in some quite profound and important way how we how we few things maybe in our heads or on our hearts or whatever in our in ourselves, then then actually we kind of you know impacts the way we are physically. And I just think um, you know we talk about mental illness quite a lot, and I think my experience mental health it almost always is connected to physical health. You know, mm-hmm. people talk about anxiety attacks; they don't mean something that they're kind of just thinking in their head. They mean the whole physicality of it, and. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's true across a lot of different issues um, as well. And, yeah. and similarly, if you're unhealthy, you know, you're unwell because of of some some disease and experience of life, mm-hmm. that affects everything that can affect you mentally so much as well and spiritually. I mean, right. it's so connected.
1: The body matters. I, Rowan Williams is talking a lot about this at the moment, isn't he? He thinks it's one of the great great um, horrors of the age. Really, that this mm-hmm. this kind of um, this forgetting. What it, what it means in you know in so many ways to be embodied um yeah. yeah i mean i've i've had uh periods of depression one in particular in the past and i and i know how that manifests itself i didn't have panic attacks but i did have that terrible lassitude where you just don't feel able to to do anything but even just even just taking seriously the bodies of others i mean our own included but but you know, and so again, you you come back to immigration and and prison reform and so on. Um, uh, if 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 you don't have that kind of um, gut based feel for how important another person's body is um, as being fundamental to who they are, it's 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 terrible. Mm. Um, so so there's the body matters theme is something I come back to a lot, and it's got so many manifestations for people we know we're not what, what phrase I, I use sometimes you know we're not there isn't just a real me carried about in an accident prone container which is my body you know um, <laughs> yeah it's funny yeah. isn't it that some 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 sorts of christian and indeed other thinkers um who are the most robust in some of the ethical principles they wish to uh, brandish are the least interested in what it is to be embodied uh, as mm. as a person it's fascinating
0: and i think that actually carries over in the the styles of preaching sometimes as well mm. like, i think um if it, it's an embodied event you know, yeah to go back to the same preaching as an event it's an embodied yeah. event you know yeah, you yeah. have a body um so i i know that because my body sometimes allows me to preach and sometimes it bars me from preaching Aww. um and and actually you know the kind of you you might be set in a space and a place in a certain mm-hmm. style and and everybody else's bodies and at the moment we're doing this sort of virtual hybrid thing mm-hmm. and um and that's slightly disembodied and that's its own strange actually um because there is something about kind of um I don't know like I think if you can't smell the smelly person in church there's just something a bit funny about the way we do church and I I'm I, I'm not critiquing anybody who's managed to hold a church for a pandemic. I think everybody's done it, it's extraordinary, but um, I think that's a bit I've discovered I've I've missed when churches haven't been open. And I think, um, yeah, there's just something about that kind of physicality of of worship and being together um, that I think is is actually a theme in all of the passages because there's there's David who's a shepherd and shepherds oh. you know usually smell like their sheep, right? Like, say so whatever kingliness he's meant to be about uh whatever the physicality of the building or not that he wants to create and god's refusal to be localized in that particular way um you know there's something there about physicalities there? and there's something yeah. about this kind of idea of these um you know um the uncircumcision and the circumcision this physical yeah. sign of our bodies and how they divide us or not which are only male bodies of course because <laughs> um that's that's not um but it, but this idea you know kind of um, actually this, yeah, you know, this flesh, he's made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall. Yeah, this is like a very physical bodied conversation going on in Ephesians. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. And then it goes into houses, you know. So it kind of connects to two Samuel and you could go in lots of directions, I wow. think, these texts and and talking about bodies and um, how how they create peace or not. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And obviously, I can my politics head on. I want to say something important about the language of citizens. <laughs> There's something about how we are as, as as citizens that's used as a as an illustration of, of, yeah. of what it is to be um, to be church.
1: Yeah, I, I I was quite challenged. I had to preach. Tangled up in my cables. Here. I had to preach. Um, well, I didn't have to, but I chose to on Dorothy Day um when i was at king's we we did a sequence a sort of occasional um, sequence of sermons called women of spirit um and it was quite deliberately done because it's such a male environment king's Chapel is an all-male choir both clergy happen to be male so um and uh and i i had this kind of vague notion of what dorothy day was about but i hadn't really kind of investigated and and I did find her fantastically challenging. I mean, not least somebody who, I mean, I knew she was this kind of um, fearless campaigner, um, a real challenge to people, but that actually she didn't fit a straightforward, shall we say, left-wing model that where there is need, the state should provide. That she had this, it was almost as though she had the notion that the state should make possible for a community to provide for itself. Um, and that that was really very very interesting, and and um, and it's quite hard to talk about that without sounding like, for example, you're going down the sort of David Cameron big society sort of route. Um, I've no idea really what he meant, why he said that then. But of course, it didn't help that you know almost immediately there was the financial crisis, so it sounded like a very handy way of getting out of you know publicly funding things. Mm. Um, but actually, what I saw again going back to that parish where I was in Wilsdon, some of the most important work uh, that was making a bit of a difference to people's lives uh, in the community were where groups of people came together to make things happen. Now, quite often they needed some public money to do that, so that was helpful. Um, but quite a lot of it was based on volunteering.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and we as a church tried to be involved, so like the citizen staff, but, you know, the food bank. But there was, a, there was some volunteering little... Um, charities that that were transforming people's lives there was ad action, all these things. Um, mm. so that kind of um, big mixed ecology of people looking out for each other uh, um, seemed to me to be very important um,
0: and that it it somehow works as a I was going to call it a leveler, but I think it's almost topsy-turvy thing that happens where the people who then who may pull power, power and who volunteer sort of then gain something out, out of it, that they perhaps wouldn't have had, um, you know, a richness to life that they simply wouldn't have had yeah. otherwise. Um, yeah. it's, it's a gift for them. And then it's also yeah. enables and empowers those who, who perhaps turned up to be, you know, a service user who becomes not a service user anymore. You know, they become people to each other and think that's why those, mm-hmm. um, I, I, uh, had a church that had an art center in it, and um, mm, mm. the gift of it was that it was the the full fullness of people's humanity coming across. You know yeah. that these were lives that you got to share, um, and that was yeah, that was that was, and it was about meaning and worth and beauty, and and we were talking about uh, buildings, weren't we, just before we um, we we started recording mm-hmm. and the importance of um, these amazing historical. Beautiful old buildings and the challenge of keeping them going, but the kind of how important they can be as spaces of grandeur and access points of yeah. grandeur to people who perhaps don't have access to any other points of, of real yeah. beautiful architecture and grandeur like that. I mean, somewhere like Cambridge, students get that kind of beautiful wood panelling and then you know they go from Cambridge to BMPs somewhere where they've got more beautiful wood (laughs) panelling and there's a natural succession point that actually if that's you know if the rest of your world is a grotty Primark shopping centre and um you know a kind of you know council flat that's you know a bit dingy and multi-story car parks then actually those little glimpses of grandeur are, are transformative
1: and they're your they're your bits of grandeur they're they're just around the corner from where you live mm. um and they're for you so you know you can you know we've got access to the most amazing amount of stuff if you want to see it online or on tv or whatever um beautiful things um but that's a very different experience um from there just being somewhere mm. a space it's part it's part of the embodied experience as well isn't it yeah um, it is and i think
0: a, the two samuel doesn't it with the kind of is it a tent is it a temple and the, mm-hmm. you know you would have only built a palace and you would have only built a temple in a time of deep peace and prosperity because you wouldn't afford to do it if you were at war so there's something about the kind of the settled nature of the land even to be able to build something like that as well I think in there the background um yeah. yeah I am aware that we um we're gonna have to round up and uh, <laughs> and go on our ways very soon um Uh, is there anything else that you think particularly want to kind of bring out and and or kind of encourage people to think about as they go in this week um
1: well i mean another political issue is what what the um government is deciding that we can and can't do which is mostly can do um in terms of pandemic restrictions or the absence of them isn't there and i think um you know, clearly, healing is a, a word that springs to mind and all that. I mean, so much that has happened that we've learned and, and, and wanted not to learn in the last 16 months. But I think um, you know, it's a, it's another bit of how we engage with each other as, as a community, whatever community we find ourselves, that um, taking responsibility. If we're being told we need to take responsibility for how we um, deal with all this, that's got a whole interesting set of things to be discussed in itself, hasn't it? But um, I think that's that's another that's where the you know this relationship between compassion and healing, mm. contemplation and action um, can fire us up to make some altruistic decisions.
0: And I yeah. think um, for me, I, I mean, I read it and I just thought, you know, the amount of key workers right now who really need to rest because. have had no leisure
1: even to eat for a year haven't been able to take leave have they yeah a lot of people haven't been able to take holiday mm. Mm.
0: and i think you know i I always do a shout out to funeral directors at this point in time because i think it's we we kind of always um a bit more understanding perhaps of of kind of nhs workers but i think you know the, the unspoken heroes in this to me have been the funeral directors who i've i just think know every time I talk to them look absolutely you know um exhausted it's been a really busy year and 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 there they are handling our bodies for us you know with dignity and care but at their own risk and um you know in and out care homes and all that kind of thing um yeah and I think I wonder if there's something about I mean I guess if you're preaching this maybe that that rhythm of, of of trying to get away not being able to get away because the needs are still there wherever you go you know even the wilderness even the deserted place ends up full of need and just the challenge of living with that kind of constant sense of like giving of yourself and the idea that the person who is meant to be feeding you is just said you know well you feed everyone else see what happens um um but i think maybe the yeah there's something about kind of the what jesus does with that which is miraculous i mean it's interesting that it cut, skips over the miracles and i I kind of like that it does, uh, in that we don't often experience miracles directly like that, do we? We kind of, the bookends of life sort of connect them a little bit more. Um, But I also think it's interesting because they get lost, of course, in the middle. They're meant to be, they're meant to be on, they're they're on this boat. (laughs) They're not meant to end up in Bethsaida. (laughs) There they are. Like, they're they're meant to, yeah, they are meant to go to Bethsaida and they end up in, um, I don't know, is it Gen Gen or Jen?
1: Gneseret. Gneseret. I, think I, I think I grew up saying Gennesaret but I don't suppose so it's anglicized isn't it So, we can, yeah.
0: just with confidence <laughs> that's my general
1: view I've always I mean one of the things that came to mind looking at this is it, I find it very helpful to remember what those places are like because I did a kind of curate's um, pilgrimage to the holy land and for me it, it makes a huge difference seeing. so I mean I did stay by the by the Sea of Galilee, by Lake, Lake, Lake Tiberius. And and it was absolutely flat calm when we went out on it. And then overnight, there was an amazing storm. So I, I sort of saw both yeah. things, which is very helpful in terms of imagination. Maybe I need to see the thing. I'm not very good at imagining. We had the most wonderful guide, uh, when you're talking about pronunciation. And we went to Capernaum, which, of course, he called Kafar Nahum, which sound, sounded amazing. And I've always wanted to say that when reading it, which, of course, it would be so distracting for people they wouldn't hear the rest of the reading. <laughs> 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 no, it was very exciting to hear it properly pronounced. Um, but they are real places. Mm. Um, so actually, part of you know any, any preparation I do um, for preaching where it seems to make sense, that engaging imaginatively with the actual place seems mm. to me really, really matters. So engaging with, so both those tradition, you know, the Ignatian tradition of contemplative immersion in the in the stories, or the Lexio Divina, the Benedictine thing of just kind of, you know, sitting slowly with the words. Both of those things I find incredibly helpful. Yeah. Um, as it happens, and still lead us into things to say about the way things are politically, to mm. just get stuck in sort of the level of nice sentences. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well andrew it's been an absolute delight to have you thank you for and um your wisdom and um i think you know uh on behalf of our listeners as well i'm sure we'll um find you really engaging um and uh so we, we're gonna we're gonna go out with a blessing i uh, bless people as they um pray for them as they go and prepare uh pray for ourselves as we prepare um for our preaching this week so let's go into both our politics and our puppets with this blessing may we be anointed with god's spirit as we bring good news to the poor proclaim release to the captives help people to see the world truthfully and let the oppressed go free amen amen